Our scripture reading comes from Acts chapter 13 today. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bargesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Alimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the Law and the Prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. He gave them their land, oh, uh, 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? 
I am not he, no, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For what I am doing, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
Amen. Thank you, Sherry, for reading for us. And uh, thank you for standing. Uh, it's a bit of a new practice we have here at Central to stand during uh, the reading of the Word of God. And uh, texts like this kind of challenge that conviction. And uh, so I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you for standing. Uh, it is a good thing. Well, for those of you who are new, I just want to say welcome. Really glad that you're here. My name is Jonathan. I am the campus pastor, and uh, I, I hope you feel a little bit at, uh, welcome and at home here. Uh, it is always a, it's always a challenging thing to walk into a new church, right? Even if you've been a Christian for a long time, your whole life, it can be a bit daunting to actually walk into a new church. You're never totally sure what to expect. When I was younger, my, my family took a vacation, and uh, it was Sunday morning, and so we just found a local church, and, and we walked in Sunday morning. And uh, it's one of those things where you're not totally sure what you're going to walk into, and so we, we came in, we sat down, the service started, and then the pastor got up and said, would all the newcomers please stand up? And everyone kind of stared at our family. Oh, okay, I guess we're standing. And then they not only clapped for us that we were all there, making us feel very uncomfortable, then they started asking us questions. They asked us our names and why we were there. And the whole time I was just thinking to myself, please make this stop. This is so uncomfortable. I had grown up my whole life in church and that was really uncomfortable. So would all that, no, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're not going to do that. <laughs> but whenever you walk in somewhere, you're not sure what to expect. You want to know a little bit of what's coming up. Right? Whether that's a new church or a new job or a new home, whatever it is, you, you kind of want to know, well, what should I expect when I get there? In fact, one of the, I believe, one of the still most uh, well-selling pregnancy books is what to expect when you're expecting, right? Because you kind of want to know, what am I going to be going through, right? Pregnancy is not exactly the time when you want to just, you know, we'll figure it out as things happen. Like, no. I want to know what's coming up. I want to know, because unless we do, we basically always want to stay away, right? We want to stay away because it's, it's scary to walk into something that's completely unknown. And so what I want us to do this morning as we tackle this, this mammoth of a text, essentially what I want us to do is have a little bit of an idea. What do we expect will happen when God calls us to missions, this text is the very first time the church has ever sent out missionaries to go and preach the gospel in a different place. And so I want us to, to look at that. We're not going to have you know, the ability to work through every single little text as much as I would like to do that. If we did, we'd be here till tomorrow. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at, first of all, just what happens in this text and then kind of five things we can expect when God calls us to missions. And so here is my, my stated, my upfront, unashamed point. I am praying God calls some of us here to long-term overseas missions. I'm actually praying you will leave. As much as I don't really want to pray that prayer, I'm praying you will leave and go and take the message of Jesus around the world. See, we're at a bit of a, a weird time or an unusual time here at Central. Uh, a lot of our missionaries are returning home, right? We've sent them out over the past number of years, and, and they're returning home. And so my prayer right now is that we would actually be replacing them 
even here today, one, two, a dozen of you would go and give yourselves to serve Jesus overseas, even as we serve Jesus here. All right, there's, there's my point of this sermon. That's what I am praying for as we look, as we say, what do we expect when God calls us? Let's get to understand that because my prayer and perhaps even expectation is God is going to call some of you. Some of you are going to be called overseas and all of us are called across the street. So what does it look like when God calls us to this? Let, let, let's, let's start just by understanding the broad strokes of what happens in this chapter. We read an entire chapter of Acts. So, so lots has happened, and yet, actually, not a lot has happened. It can be summed up pretty simply. Paul goes somewhere, he preaches, he goes somewhere, he preaches. Done. All right? That's what we just read. Okay? But we can be a little bit more specific than that. We can kind of get familiar with a little bit of the landscape. We have a bit of a, a, a map, I believe, Steve, um, <laughs> we have a little bit of a map just to show a little bit where Paul is going. So he starts off here on the, what is that, eastern side, right, up in Antioch. You can follow the solid red line. He's going to travel all the way to the island of Cyprus, work his way all through Cyprus before heading back north into what is now modern-day Turkey, making his way to Antioch. He starts in Antioch and he ends in Antioch. Obviously different cities, but that's essentially where he's going throughout this chapter. Paul spends some time on Cyprus preaching to the different uh, towns and whatever around there. He meets this Jewish magician Bar-Jesus who he has this whole encounter with. We don't know exactly how long he spends there, but eventually he moves his way north into Turkey and then makes his way to Antioch where he's given this amazing opportunity to preach the gospel. And really most of our chapter is Paul preaching that sermon, right? It's a record of what Paul preached until eventually people actually kick him out of the city and they end up having to leave and continue on to Iconium. So that's really the overview of what happens. It's, it's not that complicated. Paul goes somewhere, he preaches. He goes somewhere and he preaches. But what I want us to see more than that is what do we expect? What does it look like to actually go on mission? What do we expect when the Holy Spirit calls us to go? So, Let's look at our passage. We're going to slowly kind of work through looking at some of these big themes. And I think the first thing that we should expect is spiritual discipline. Look back with me at the beginning of our passage. We're, we're starting off in Antioch. This is where we have left off the story from the previous chapter. The church had all gathered together, Saul, Barnabas, and all of these church leaders. And that we find that they are in a, a worship service together. Verse 2 says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Two things I want us to just quickly understand here. The first is this is God's initiative. God is the one who comes up with this idea. This wasn't sort of Paul or Saul at this moment, Saul and Barnabas kind of saying, hey, let's, let's, let's go do something, right? No, this was actually the Holy Spirit saying, I am going to call these two men and they are going to go and preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit is himself calling them to go. Many of you know, I, I grew up as a pastor's kid. My, my dad was a pastor. 
And so from a very early age, I have memories of people coming up to me in church and saying something like, you know, are are you going to become a pastor? Are you going to be a preacher when you get older? I recognize the irony of me sharing this story. Um, Yes, apparently I did. But the advice my dad actually gave me at that moment was always say no. Actually, always say no. You do not go and become a pastor, a preacher, unless God is calling you to go. In fact, I think that's the advice we need to see from this. Missions, going into ministry, whatever it may be, is not sort of our initiative to say, hey, I have something cool I think we should do, but rather responding to God and saying, this is where God is calling me to go. Don't go into missions unless God is calling you. We're going to see very clearly why a little bit later, but, but God is the one who sets apart Saul and Barnabas to go. And the second thing we need to notice here is what they were doing. They're worshiping, praying, and fasting at the time. They actually had set themselves apart to serve God. They didn't know what that would look like, but they were devoting themselves to worshiping him. Serious spiritual work requires some serious spiritual intentionality. Now, the wrong thing that we could learn from here is that God only ever calls people who are fully mature in their faith. And we have to wait until we are fully mature before we can go and do anything. Well, no, that's not the point. God calls people at all different walks and stages of life. That happens all the time. What we should realize here is the importance of it. The importance of those spiritual disciplines are actually necessary for the work God is going to give to them. See, sometimes we overemphasize the fact that, that, you know what, God could call anyone, and he can. But sometimes we've emphasized that to the point where we say, well, it doesn't matter what my life looks like. It doesn't matter if I'm spending time in my Bible or praying. God can use me. Of course he can. But God actually calls us to be prepared and to actually work for, uh, work towards it. Paul tells Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Paul says to Timothy, you're actually to be prepared. Present yourself before God as one who is approved, who has no need to be ashamed before God. It means we actually need to spend time developing, knowing our Bibles, working through it, spending time in prayer, fasting even. When's the last time we've spent time fasting? I confess it has been far too long. Everything that God is going to call Paul and Barnabas to do in this moment is going to require this foundation. This is the the bedrock for everything that's going to come. And so if God is going to call us, here is our bedrock. Whether we are fully mature, we're not. We're not. We're called to work on this actually spend our lives because everything God is going to say, everything God is going to call them to do is going to require this foundation. So what do we expect when God calls us? It means we expect to work on our spiritual disciplines. Secondly, the calling of God comes with spiritual discipline. It comes with hard work, right? We, we kind of get the narrative of, of Paul and Barnabas, you know, going through and, you know, it just says, well, they went here. And then they went there, and then they sailed across to Cyprus, right? 
And we forget, you know, that doesn't mean jumping in a car. No, they, they walked. They walked down to this place. They took a sailboat across, you know, open ocean to get to this island and then had to walk across the entire island to take another boat and go all the way through into Turkey. This was an arduous journey to take. This actually took effort and intentionality. In fact, we're told halfway through, this guy John Mark, he just drops out. Right? This becomes a big point later on in the story in the book of Acts. This becomes a bit of a contentious point. John Mark doesn't seem to abandon his faith or anything like that. He just realizes the work is so difficult, he has to go. Right? They, they were spending all of their time going around to a new town, trying to find who can they speak to, how can they share the gospel before then moving on. Right? They didn't just spend a night in a town. No, they actually spent time working and getting to know those people. As much as it's a physical demand, it's far more of an emotional and spiritual demand on them as well. Right? Later on, Paul will write in, in these letters to the churches, and he'll write about how much their, their faith weighs on him. Right? He is praying for them. He is keeping them in their prayers and thoughts all the time, burdened that they might follow after Christ more and more. Right? This wasn't a nine-to-five job where you just clock out at the end of the day. No, in fact, to, to go into ministry means you're prepared to work hard. Paul writes in the book of Colossians, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Paul says, actually, the calling God placed on him was one of toil and struggle, yet ultimately it wasn't his own energy that he was going to use. Actually, it was what God supplied. Going back to what we just talked about, what's the foundation? That foundation of knowing God personally is what actually helps him do the work of ministry. When God calls us to missions, it involves spiritual discipline. It also involves speaking, or sorry, it involves hard work. Thirdly, it involves speaking boldly, right? What we should actually expect when God calls us to mission, that's probably the first thing you thought of is you got to speak up, right? Most of the time when we think about missions, we think about kind of what I'm doing right here, getting up and actually talking and explaining something out of the Bible. It's not wrong. We should expect that. That's what God calls us to do, to open our mouths and tell others about Jesus. But we also got to realize Paul had to speak pretty boldly in some other ways as well. When Paul and Barnabas are on the island of Cyprus, they meet this man named Bar-Jesus, we're told he is a Jewish magician and he was leading people astray, right? He's trying to almost create his own little cult, claim that he is a prophet of God and so that everyone should follow after him. Paul and Barnabas arrive and they realize this man is not helping people actually follow the Lord. In fact, had been leading away this, this proconsul, this Roman governor who was there as well. And so in verse 9 we read, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Paul just outright rebukes this man for everything that he is saying. Now, we, we could spend a long time saying, okay, whoa, why does Paul go that, you know, that hard, that strong against him? 
But let me just simply say, it's because he's twisting, actually, the word of God to say whatever he wanted to say. And so actually, speaking boldly means we also need to learn how do we speak and correct people on what the word of God says. Right? The world is full of brash, crude, and insulting language. We're not talking about that. We're talking about very clearly showing people what does the word of God say. Again, going back to our foundations, it means we need to know the word of God to be able to speak it clearly. Right? It involves that, that correcting ministry. It also involves that, that very clear teaching and proclamation. Right? Most of this chapter is taken up with Paul's sermon that he gives when he gets to Antioch in Pisidia. Right? Once he gets there, he's given this amazing opportunity. Walks into the synagogue, and the synagogue leader basically gives him you know, the open mic to be able to come and share whatever it is that he has. Right? God has created this opportunity, and Paul steps in to now begin to teach. And essentially what his sermon does is he walks through the Old Testament, right? Through the history of the nation of Israel, starting with Abraham, moving all the way to the Exodus, to Moses on the mountain, to the people entering the promised land, to uh, Saul being crowned king, and then finally David. And he spends most of his time talking about King David, and the reason he does that is because God, well, God makes a covenant with David and makes him a promise that one day an offspring, one of your children down the line, are going to do some pretty amazing things. In fact, he's going to sit on your throne forever. And this is really where Paul kind of camps out for a while. See, in the history of the nation of Israel, David is, is, is the pinnacle Right? David was the greatest of all their kings. He was the one who did what God wanted him to do most of the time. But David died. And then his son came up, and he died. And his son came up, and he died. And again, and again, and again, this was not an eternal kingdom. This was a one where, where kings just kept on dying. They kept seeing corruption. And so Paul's point here is that this line is waiting for one, a king who would come that would not see corruption, and he brings them to Jesus. He walks through some of the, the life of Jesus being rejected by the people in Jerusalem, ultimately being put to death on a cross. But the, the amazing thing here is that Jesus didn't stay dead. Unlike every other king before him who had died and was corroded in the grave, Jesus stood up again. See, Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was this future king they had been looking for. And so Paul concludes in verse 38. He says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Here is really the, the central core of what the gospel message entails. It is that for all who trust, who believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven and you are no longer in bondage to them. But in fact, Jesus has released us from being ensnared and trapped and enslaved to our sins. 
Jesus has died in our place and he has risen to new life to reign forever on David's throne. See, this is the good news that that actually everyone who trusts in Jesus is called to proclaim. It's that the death and the resurrection of Jesus means we can be forgiven by God. It's what we're called to place our faith, our trust in. Do you trust that Jesus has died for your sins? That he has taken the punishment for the wrong things that you have done and that the only way for you to be forgiven is through Jesus Christ? you know Jesus like that? Do you trust in him? This is the message we are called to boldly proclaim. We are boldly called to tell this. See, in Paul's day, this was a controversial message. No one liked to hear that they had missed the Messiah. They had misunderstood what God had been telling them for generations, or more than that, that they had put to death the Son of God. I mean, that was a controversial thing to say. It's still a difficult message to preach. Even today, people don't want to hear about sin. What do you mean that I'm not good enough? That I've done something wrong? Doesn't sound, doesn't sound right. Yet the truth of what the Bible teaches is that every single person without exception has sinned, fallen short of what God has called us to be. And in fact, that God the judge will one day bring punishment for it. We don't want to hear that message, and yet if we ignore that, we miss how beautifully sweet the message of forgiveness actually is. See, when we try and just turn a blind eye to our sin, we try and just ignore it and say, well, that's not that bad, it's not that big a deal. What we're missing out is how truly beautiful the promise of forgiveness actually is. Someone who knows us, who knows our sins, who knows how truly devastating they are and yet has loved us and forgiven us because of what Jesus has done. Don't miss the beauty of what the gospel is. It's what we're called to trust in, and it's what we have the privilege to be able to boldly proclaim, to actually tell others about what Jesus has done. Don't miss it. Don't fail to show it to others. Paul asks for the church to pray for him because even he realized he needed that spirit-given boldness to speak this message. Ephesians chapter 6, he says, pray, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. When God calls us to mission, we should expect we're going to spend time in our spiritual disciplines. We expect to work hard, to speak boldly, but also to face opposition. Fourth thing that we should really realize as we work through this passage is that opposition comes. And we should be prepared when people actually reject us. When Paul finishes his sermon in the city of Antioch, verse 42, it says, as they went out, the people begged that, they might be told, uh, uh, that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. It starts off really good. People are saying, please come back. We want to hear more. We want to understand this. People start following after them and, and hearing more about what the gospel message is. Verse 44 continues, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. 
But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Right, the reaction turns more and more hostile, yet, yet Paul and Barnabas continue to preach and boldly proclaim. Verse 50 tells us, But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the districts. Things continue to escalate until finally Paul and Barnabas, they can't even be in the city anymore. They're, They're literally driven out. The preaching of the gospel is met with both acceptance and opposition. Some believe and follow after them and others are trying to run them out of town. God calls you to missions, you should expect the same result. It's the same thing that happened to Jesus himself. Why should his followers be any different? Now hear me, this doesn't mean that being disliked is somehow a a spiritual attribute or blessing. No, no, many people are disliked simply for being dislikable, right? We're careful not to give any offense other than the message of Jesus himself. Do you notice Saul changes his name in this passage. Now we finally get to call him Paul, which is what we probably know him as mostly. And often we assume that was for a very, you know, God told him to change his name. That's his apostle name. It's actually his Roman name. Paul is going into more and more Roman colonies, and so he simply goes by his Roman name as a citizen of Rome. That was his other name, Paul. Why did he change it? He didn't want any obstacles to be in front of people hearing the name of Jesus. Paul would rather change his own name than that people miss the name of Jesus. Oh, would we have such humility to do the same? That we would gladly change even our own names so that others might know more about Jesus. See, If we are going to be offensive, if we face that opposition, that persecution, may it always be only for the name of Jesus and not because of anything we have done or barriers or offenses we have created. Yet nonetheless, we're told that people will still reject. They won't believe the message. They won't accept it. In fact, they may try and hurt us. Paul and Barnabas end up having to leave the city. Verse 51 We read, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but that's not the ending I would expect to that story of being run out of town. And then it ends with them rejoicing, rejoicing over these things. And yet we've seen that happen a number of times all throughout the book of Acts. Back when Peter and John are being put on trial, it says, uh, Uh, Chapter 5, verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. See, when God calls us to missions, here's the last thing we should expect. Actually, we should expect joy. We should expect rejoicing comes in the call of God, even over and above all of the opposition, all of the hard work, all of the difficult and challenging things we may yet have to go through. The expectation is it ends in joy. Paul and Barnabas are filled with joy, and they are rejoicing as they walk out. Why? 
Well, because they have been able to suffer the same way Jesus has suffered. They're carrying on his ministry. What a privilege it is. They're rejoicing because they are still being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has been guiding them, working through them, directing them this whole way. Right? This whole passage began with the Spirit sending them out, and now it ends with the Holy Spirit still being with them, and actually the Holy Spirit transforming people's lives. See, as much as people did oppose and reject them, many believed. Look back, verse 48. It says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. I'm not sure there's a much more encouraging verse for missions than that. God's word didn't fail. Despite all the opposition, despite all the hardships that happened, the word of God didn't fail at any point. It accomplished all that God intended it to do. All that God had appointed to eternal life had placed their faith in Jesus. They were rejoicing. Why? Because God's purpose was not stopped. The sovereignty of God is the reason to go on mission. God has called people. Go get them. God is doing a work in people's lives. God is doing the work of transforming people's lives. God sends and he accomplishes his mission. We have the joy of being part of what God is doing. We have the joy of being able to come into what God is doing in the world and participate and be used and join in this ministry. There is great joy in that. When God calls you to go, to serve on mission, you should expect to spend much time in prayer and the word. You should expect that you are going to have to work hard, speak boldly, face opposition, and you should expect a far greater joy. See, that is the truth of what happens when God calls us to the work of missions. It's true whether we are sent across the world or here at home. Our calling is share the good news of Jesus. I pray some of you here will take this message. You will go and share the message of Jesus and the cross that the world, that, that across the world, that the people would see and know and believe in Jesus. I am praying that you will leave. The work of missions is not just for the missionary. It's the call of every believer to go and share the message of Jesus, whether that's across the road, across the office in the next cubicle, or across the back fence. We're called to go. Everywhere we go, we share Jesus as we walk. So I pray we would be people who are in prayer, in the word, that we would work hard, speak boldly, face this opposition, and rejoice to be part of God's work that we would seek the joy of knowing and following and sharing Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I Father, I pray this morning that you would be at work in our lives, that you would be transforming even our hearts right now. Father, I pray, impress your word onto us that we would know and believe the message of Jesus. 
Father, that Jesus died in our place. He rose to new life that we might live forever in him. Father, I I pray would we trust in that for our forgiveness. Father, let us turn from our sins no longer ensnared into them, but that we would trust and follow after you more and more. Father, I pray this morning that some of us would leave. I pray that some of us would go and we would take that message of Jesus that is so vital that we would cross oceans even and that we would share this good news of what you have done for all mankind. Father, I pray, might we not sit on this information but that we would lovingly go and share, Father, across the world and right here at home. I pray that you would transform our lives, that we would be more and more like Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen.